the Bluebird Houses uh, has a little more personality than a bee block that attracts all sorts of native bees. Both very beneficial, but uh, the native bees aren't nearly as pretty as a bluebird. <laughs> from the bee yard you're listening to episode 30 the birds and the bees if you're interested in bees there's a good chance that your curiosity extends to other animals in the bee yard as well today's episode is about birds it's about the patterns the sights the sounds produced by the natural world that surrounds you my name is laura tyler i'm your producer and host This is episode 30, The Birds and the Bees, written by Tom Theobald in 1991 and read by Tom in 2021. In the fall of 1988, as winter began to settle in on the prairie, a covey of bobwhite quail showed up at the Left Hand Valley Nursery north of Niwot. These quail aren't native to this part of the country, and their appearance was a surprise to all of us. When Keith Owen started his tree farm, his first project was to make extensive windbreak plantings. These provided a wide mix of fruiting and seed-producing plants, and over the years proved to be a magnet for all manner of wildlife. When the winter storms started, Keith began feeding the quail to help them through the rough times, and they stayed around all winter, dispersing only when the nesting season arrived the following spring. The appearance of the quail started me thinking about another favorite of mine, and I asked Keith if he would mind if I put a few bluebird nest boxes around the tree farm. My friend John Stabilar, owner of Distinctive Woodworking, offered me some shop space, and I set about that winter making a few bluebird houses to put out in the spring. I hoped to entice some of the spring migrants to set up housekeeping. While the bluebirds pass through Niwot in March, I have never seen them nest around here. I don't think this is due to lack of habitat, but rather competition from house sparrows and starlings for nesting cavities. Initially, I had only the tree farm in mind, but as I sawed and nailed, I began to realize that I had much more of the environment at my fingertips than just the tree farm. Many of my bee yards are up close to the foothills on year-round streams and irrigation ditches, and the same qualities which make them favorable sites for bee yards should provide attractive habitat for bluebirds. I was sure none of the landowners would have any objection to my fanciful project. In fact, I suspected some would share my enthusiasm. So I continued building nest boxes in my spare time throughout the winter. By the time spring arrived, I had 40 completed, 
and as I started making the first rounds of my bee yards, I began setting them out. Later that summer, I began doing some reading about bluebirds and soon discovered that there was nothing original about my idea. Others had recognized the plight of the bluebirds years ago and had taken steps to help, much as I was doing. What came to be called bluebird trails resulted from these early efforts. My own project probably doesn't even merit the name trail, since it is by no means continuous, but it does cover about 20 miles of the prairie ecosystem along the foothills, from Four Mile Creek on the south to the Little Thompson River on the north. Others have done far more. In 1959, a doctor and his wife started a bluebird trail in Brandon, Manitoba as a boys' club project. From a modest beginning, with boys building and setting out houses along the roadside, the project has grown enormously. As others joined in, the network of trails and side trails expanded to 2,500 miles, stretching from Winnipeg, Manitoba on the east to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan on the west. Estimates are that more than 5,000 bluebirds and 10,000 tree swallows are fledged along this trail system each season. The first year my boxes were out, not a single bird of any kind nested in them. It was a little discouraging, but it didn't really surprise me, since I found that houses built with new wood usually have to weather for a year or two before the birds will use them. Last year, several had nesting house wrens. These industrious little birds had to cart in large quantities of twigs to fill the deep bluebird houses up to the entrance hole. I admired their persistence and enjoyed their song around the bee yards, but still no bluebirds. And this year, the next six weeks will tell the tale. A bluebird trail would be an excellent project for a 4-H group, Cub Scouts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, even for a retired farmer or rancher who finds they are spending more time inside than they want to. The nest boxes are relatively inexpensive and easy to build with simple tools. There are a number of books written on the subject, and the Wild Bird Center in Boulder is a good place to get information and see a variety of bluebird houses. As I start out on the rounds of my bee yards this spring, I have one more thing to look forward to. While my small trail hasn't been a smashing success yet, the day will come when I pull into a bee yard and see a flash of blue at one of the nest boxes. In that one moment, all my efforts will be rewarded. So what was the outcome of the bluebird houses? Did you ever receive any nesters? Well, I finally satisfied my interest, and I, I love to have the wrens around. 
Anyone who is familiar with wrens knows that in the hot afternoons, when the rest of the birds are sulking in the shade, the house wrens are singing their hearts out. So that was enough reward for me, even if I never did get any bluebirds. The wrens were a wonderful companion in the bee yards during the heat of summer. Tell me about the wrens. Well, the wrens are tiny little birds, and they go into all the little nooks and crannies. I uh, frequently would watch them get into the wood pile, and you'd see them go in at one end, and then a few minutes later they would come out the other end, and they had explored that whole wood pile from one end to the other looking for little critters to eat. <laughs> it was their song, though, that attracted me, both at home and and at my bee yards because they just sing their hearts out in the hottest part of the day. Mm. So do you want to tell us a little bit about who Keith Owen is? I uh, started with Harlan Henderson using a building that had been abandoned for many years. Okay, so I'm going to have you back up. So tell us who Harlan Henderson is. Harlan was uh, the person that I started bees with. Harlan had retired from IBM because of heart problems, and being an industrious guy, he, uh, with the help of his brother-in-law in Riverside, California, he started with bees. And he saw this abandoned building and approached the uh, realtor that had it for sale and made an arrangement at a modest cost to use it. And then about three years later, I showed up. Harlan and I worked together for two or three years, after which time the property was purchased by Keith Owen. And Keith's intention was to start a tree farm. But Keith was such a generous guy that he allowed us to stay in this small building. And I'm still there after all these years, and Keith is still there too. He's just been a wonderful benefactor, and he's become a, a good friend as well. Yeah, so it sounds like the tree farm is the location of your honey house, is that correct? Correct, yes. Yeah. So would you paint a picture for us of what the tree farm looked like when you first started there and what it looks like now? Well, the tree farm was 35 acres of trees. Keith had added another 35 acres. And in the spring, it was a beautiful abundance of bloom of all different kinds from the trees that were being raised. Some of them fruit trees, uh, all different kinds of blooming trees. I didn't realize w what a wonderful asset it was until the tree farm came to an end. It's now been turned over to native grasses, and uh, it's still a beautiful spot, but not nearly the abundance of bloom that we once had. Mm -hmm. And then this idea of the bluebird trail, trying to remember. So there was a road trip that Andy and I took, and I do recall seeing a lot of nesting boxes. Yes, the bluebirds are more likely to occupy trails that are put out back into the foothills. And I was never able to entice any 
to nest down here on the plains. Mm-hmm. But further to the west in the foothills, you you would uh, have a greater likelihood of attracting bluebirds. And can you explain for listeners a little bit more what the Bluebird Trail was? Because I had no idea this was an organized thing. Well, it's organized on an informal way. Um, A Bluebird Trail can be short and be only one individual that puts out a few houses. That's what I had in mind for myself. Or it can be a, a group of people who have worked together to make trails that cover hundreds of miles. Mm -hmm. So a bluebird trail can be very short and simple or fairly long and complex. So another thing that I thought of when I was listening was how similar the construction of the bluebird houses sounds to native bee blocks Do those projects feel similar to you at all? Yes, I think uh, the Bluebird Houses uh, has a little more personality than a bee block that attracts all sorts of native bees. Both very beneficial, but uh, the native bees, no matter how important their contribution is to the environment, aren't nearly as pretty as a bluebird. <laughs> I don't know, debatable maybe. Well, it's debatable, and I would certainly welcome a conversation with a, a native bee person, but my choice would be the drama of the bluebirds. Yeah, and tell me about the drama of the bluebirds. Well, they're just like? so beautiful. They really are. They're just gorgeous, and they're, they are crystalline bluebird. They really stand out against the rest of the environment. They just sparkle. Thank you for listening to Notes from the Bee Yard. We'll be back in two weeks with episode 31, Mr. Mom Chicken Dog, on Friday, May 6th at noon. In the meantime, hop on over to notesfromthebr.buzz and subscribe.